Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fogopoulos. I'm Mark Pagan. I'm Randy Wilkins. Whoa. <gasps> and this is... Does somebody want to do the Oofra honors? Busters. No yes! one said it. I said it All myself. All right, fine. <laughs> Liam, you did the honors. You did the honors on your own podcast. Thank you. Unfortunately, fortunately, Artie Bucco, probably. Artie Bucco. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, just like, I don't know, I've had so many times in my life where it's like, this is what I'm like, the ear, I've never had an earring, but just poor Artie Bucco of like, trying to be the cool young guy. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's like, just be who you are, man. And uh, that's probably him. And then at times, I think that's it. I think because I like none of those guys, all that the um, I don't I can't really see like, Tony Soprano in myself, or I'm trying to think of anybody else, even Christopher. Like they seem there's mm. there's all that insecurity, but there's still an assuredness of the things that they're saying, and um, the, they believe themselves. Yeah, Liam, Randy, do you either of you want to chime in on who your Sopranos avatars would be? I'm I'm definitely uh, not represented well in uh, the Soprano, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I have. A, I don't think I have a Sopranos Abby. I enjoy the Sopranos, but I don't really see myself in anybody. <laughs> yeah. I um have only seen the first three seasons of the show because the third season made me cry for forty eight hours after it ended, so I, I stopped oh there. But it's probably Anthony Junior. Moving on. So, um, George, we made it. We're here at the end of our Thank Batman season. Mike, fucking God. God. Oh my oh, God. Guys, recommendations for podcasts, not ones about Batman. That was what I would advise going forward. <laughs> it gets oh, kind I, of monotonous. I didn't know. This is the last, this is how you guys this are This is the last it? one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we're ending the podcast after that. Um, Burning so all the audio, destroying the equipment. We're, we're happy to have you guys here um, to talk about Joker, which is technically not a Batman movie, but is kind of a maybe a little bit of a tangential bat tangential Batman origin story. So let's do some quick introductions, and we'll jump right into the to talking about this um this this controversial movie. I guess it's kind of controversial. Um, Mark Pagan, hi Mark, is an award-winning filmmaker, podcast producer, performer, and educator. His work and performances have been shown at festivals and shows worldwide, including Slamdance, Maryland, Arizona International Film Festival, Family Ghosts, PRX, WNYC's Nancy, Colorado Public Radio's On Something, North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival, Charleston Comedy Festival, Risk, The Moth, and Story Collider. Mark is currently (laughs) producing TEDx shorts as well as completing production on the third season of the award-winning podcast, Other Men Need Help, a playful docu-essay, damn it, a playful docu-essay show dissecting masculine insecurities, which is a fancy way of saying it's like Sesame Street about Mark. Men. About men. It's like Sesame Street about men. Damn it. Mark, welcome um, welcome to the back to the podcast for your second appearance it's good to have you good to be back 
And of course, we have Randy. George, so, do you want to introduce Randy? I do. It'd be yeah, my honor. So Randy Wilkins is a three-time Emmy Award-winning writer, director, and editor from the Bronx. Directorially, Randy has helmed the ESPN 30 for 30, Little Spike Joint 8632, chronicling the controversial decision between Roy Jones Jr. and Park Si-hun in the light middle heavyweight gold medal match at the 1988 Summer Olympics. In addition, he's enjoyed success with his award-winning digital series, Docket 32357. Randy's latest effort is directing the series premiere episode of Deer, featuring Spike Lee for Apple. Um, outside of directing, Randy Apple served Plus. At, Apple Plus. Sorry, outside of directing, Randy has served as lead editor on numerous Spike Lee joints, including She's Got to Have It and Rodney King for Netflix. He's currently in development uh, for his feature script Pray for a Little More Spring and his feature documentary Move, while also in co-development for the miniseries forever uh forward forever can i also just briefly say that i can't believe that um i mean our our guests are so much more qualified than we are to talk about the, the, this, fa- <laughs> this well i just wish that they had more going on in their lives they're just not like they don't do a lot of stuff they're kind of lazy yeah. i was like it's uh i was like really god i was like wait a minute randy has like emmys and people want to hear what i have to fucking say about this not so good movie well, that's like, why i brought I'm him just, on just, I'm, randy's I'm just, replacing you on the show I'm randy's just the sh- new co-host i'm just gonna shut the fuck up and like let randy and mark talk but that would be fantastic if you would do that i, I will um, yeah. mainly for you liam because i know you, don't, you hate hearing my voice i hate it um yeah, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Um, Randy also ho- has a Yankees podcast that you and George can talk <gasps> about later on because uh, I love the Yankees. I do Yankees, miss baseball so Yankees. much. Yeah, right, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm like best friends with like every baseball beat writer. After I uh, wrote that Twitter thread a couple weeks ago, <laughs> so oh, what was what was the thread on? Uh, I just called out Major League Baseball and their uh, BS uh, statement about systemic racism and social justice. Oh then, God, uh, I'm kind of. Ha- I'm glad I kind of missed that. <laughs> Not your thread, yeah, but now, I mean their um, statement. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got like two thousand new followers from it, and everybody wanted to talk Damn. to me about saving, like, <laughs> or like helping baseball with their racism problem, as if I could actually like address that <laughs> in a proper way. So. Yeah, well, we won't bother times. you with that. We'll bother you with 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 uh with joker um so the movie we're talking about is joker uh george do you want to give us a quick um plot summary of joker the 2019 film i would love to give you and our listeners a quick plot summary so joker tells the story of arthur fleck as played of course by joaquin phoenix struggling comedian and kind of clown about town who lives with his mother penny (laughs) as played by francis conroy author arthur is obsessed with his next door neighbor sophie played by Zazie Beetz, and with late-night talk show host Maury Franklin, played by Robert De Niro, echoes, of course, of the, uh, the King of Comedy. The movie takes us through Arthur's increasing mental breakdown and transformation into the Joker within the backdrop of a Gotham City that is slowly descending into chaos and unraveling. Arthur also finds out that his mother is obsessed with Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father, who she worked with, and his own story becomes entangled with that of the Waynes's. Arthur slowly begins to lose his hold on reality. He kills a couple of Wall Street bros, possibly his most heroic moment in the film. A former coworker, um, he kills a former coworker, and he also eventually kills Murray Franklin. He also finds out that his relationship with his next door neighbor was kind of all in his head, and that much of what he has experienced in terms of his kind of delusions are a result of severe trauma due to his mother, um, his beating him basically as a child. And the film ends with a massive riot that results in the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne, Bruce's parents. Uh, making the film a kind of Batman origin story as well as a Joker origin story. And things happen in between, but that's pretty much the A lot going on in this film. movie. Well, a lot, a lot yeah. But I also like watching it again. I was surprised at kind of how streamlined it is. It kind of really kind of hits a couple of... Like, I, don't, I didn't think it was like messy or anything. And I was actually surprised. I was like, oh, yeah, wait, this film's only like two hours long. I remember the first time I saw it, I felt like it was a little bit longer. So the movie is directed by Todd Phillips. Uh, of hangover fame written by scott silver and todd phillips produced by todd phillips emma tillinger koskoff who also produced the irishman that's a big that's a big year years and bradley cooper and i we don't always do the all the credits but i wanted to do i wanted to make sure we reference the cinematography by lawrence Scheer because it's unbelievable in this movie it's just an incredible movie to look at stars Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck slash Joker. I hesitated to put Joker in there because it 
it, I don't, I guess he is called Joker at the end, but it, it's like, does, is he really Joker? Robert De Niro is Mari Franklin, Zazie Beetz as Sophie Dumond, Francis Conroy as Penny Fleck, Brett Cullen as Thomas Wayne, Glenn Fleischer as Randall, Bill Camp as Detective Garrity, Shea Wiggum as Detective Burke, and Mark Marin as Gene Oofland. <laughs> For thirty seconds, um, you just had to fucking bring up the. Fact I just, that Mark I just Maron's needed to say, Mark Marin, uh, he's my boy. Uh, the movie was nominated for eleven Academy Awards, and it won Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix and Best Score by Hildur Gonsdotter. Is I believe how you say that, Icelandic um, composer and musician. Um, so, guys, real quick. Um, Randy, let's start with you. What did you think of Joker? Did you just saw it for the you rewatched it, I think you said for the second time. Yeah. Um I love the film. I mean, I know you mentioned it earlier that it's controversial for some, but um I think it's an incredible piece of cinema. I think it's an incredible piece of art, even when you take away some of the societal comments away. Um I just think it's really well crafted, obviously brilliantly acted. Um I think Todd Phillips did a tremendous job um, on the director's side. I just think as a piece of cinema, I think it's fantastic. Um, the first time I saw it, I was blown away by it. The second time, obviously just because I, I, I had seen it already, I wasn't as in awe of it as I was after watching it the first time. But I, with everything going on in the world, I see it through a completely different lens compared to the first time that I've seen it or I saw it. So... Um, as from a director perspective, I think is fantastic cinema. And I, I know that people will look at it in different ways because of the the setup of the story and everything that's involved with it. And, um, you know, the issue of mental health and all of that stuff. But um, if you strip that away and you just look at it as a piece of art, I think it's extremely well done. Mark. Well, I, uh, if I can tell a little bit of a story about the first, when I saw it to tell you how, how I responded to it, I was, I was working, I was going back and forth from New York to Boston at the time for work. And I had a, a like a seven hour gap uh, on a Friday between finishing work and having to go to the airport for a flight. And I was like, it was opening day. And I said, Oh shit. Like Joker is out. It's playing. I'd never been to the Coolidge, uh, what at Coolidge Corner Theater is playing on 70 millimeter. Like this is, Ooh. I was like this. I'm gonna do this. This is the best thing to do without having to go to the airport. Like I got, I got a few hours, and so I went uh, to go see it there. And again, it's on 70 millimeter. And I, I never, ever, ever leave movies. Never. And I especially never leave movies to go to the airport early. And I did not, but almost left Joker to go to the airport early. I was so pissed. I was like, I was, I was fuming in my seat at the movie. Um, and so I did not like it. I think I actually, Liam, I might've texted you asking if you'd seen it yet. And I, 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 I held, I, I held my tongue and, and I've held my tongue with like people, you know, seeing it and things like that. And I've, I've sat with it because if I have that strong a reaction to something, I question what my like what the reaction like. Obviously, if a work sits in the middle where there's no reaction, and I'm like, okay, that that actually is something that we should we should constitute as probably a bad piece of work, but you know something that's ultimately mediocre. So it's got that strong enough of a reaction to me, and I've had enough time to like sit with it and try to figure out what that is. I don't know that I have any answers, but I did nearly complete a rewatch of it a few nights ago and i it wasn't that i turned it off it's just that it's just been a busy week and uh i haven't been able to complete it so first viewing not good second almost completed viewing i had a lot more patience for it i'll say that i definitely had a lot more patience and i i do think that there there isn't a flat out this movie is the worst like even when i saw it i i think it's a masterpiece of art direction i think it's like it, the art direction is is really what this movie is for me, um, and I have a lot more to say. But Liam, just quickly, Liam Richards, yeah, yeah. Oh, just quickly, Mark. Uh, was there a specific point that in your first initial viewing, where that you got ext- extremely kind of like fed up with it, or was it just kind of like a slow build up, and it was just kind of like I'm fucking out. I was fidgeting in my seat um, 
for the first act going, all right, all right, let's, let's see. This is, this is unnerving me a little bit. Not in the way where it's like, oh, this character portrayal is so dark. It wasn't that. It was kind of the opposite. It just, I didn't see the depth in it. It was the um, Bernard Getz, like, subway incident or the, the take on that. And, of course, you know, quote, unquote, flip it with these white yuppies that he, that he knocks off. But I was like, I, and then the dance, the dance in the bathroom. After, especially after that, and I was like, "You motherfucker!" I was like, w- "I was so, I was so pissed. I was so pissed." Who's the motherfucker? Uh, there is the it. Movie theater eating popcorn like you motherfucker. I was, just, I was, I was, I was really upset. I, I don't like. Um, I was really upset about what he was putting his actor through, and it seemed to me like he was just uh-huh. like it was just like flail your arms, like you know, like be just be like you just killed somebody and joaquin being joaquin was sort of chewing it up so like, right, i lost 50 pounds for this i'll you know i'll i'll, I'll do this it's just the the pathology the sort of like the quickness of pathology was really it was just very upsetting to me i was just very upset about the i felt the portrayal of the character was dis was disrespectful towards the portrayal of the character and uh what he what he was trying to set up for the character and I, I really, really like Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's he's generation wise, he's he's one of our greats. He's like a great screen idol, uh, an icon at this point. And I, I, I think at that point too, I was like, you you had the opportunity to work with him. I mean, of course, he's won all these accolades and these Oscars. It's not that I don't think he deserves it. I just don't think he was given a lot to work with. And mm. I see, I when I watched it, I saw a portrayal of flailing where it's Joaquin was doing the best that he could with material that wasn't that uh, it was a method performance to which the depth of the material wasn't there for it. So that was, that was when I saw that scene, the dance in the bathroom and the cello music, which is beautiful. I was like, Oh God, you just, you're making me so mad. Um, And if I can jump in real quick, part of the reason that I wanted to get you guys on is that, Mark texted me the Friday night at like 5 p.m. Did you see Joker? And I was like, no, it's been out for 14 hours and you were just sort of late. And then I think like later that day or soon after, Randy, you started tweeting about it. And I just remember these like two polar reactions and being like, wow, like this is so cool. Um, George, do you want to jump in real quick? Uh, Yeah. I just want to say, I guess my reaction kind of is somewhere in the middle in the sense that I find this film entertaining. I found I didn't find it boring. I found it incredibly well-crafted, incredibly well-made. There are shots and there are moments that are really, really beautiful and conceptually well-crafted. I think Phoenix is great. I think he's pretty much the only one in the film that has, and obviously he's on screen the entire time, and he's obviously the main character, um, but there's a real lack of depth to anybody else around him and that to me also is kind of like I think a bit of a drag on the film the other thing also though however is like and I just thought of this I was like oh this is like a really good cover song and obviously it's covering Mm. Taxi Driver and it's covering King of Comedy and does like an exceptional job of again like covering those original source materials but I remember also just thinking while watching this often is like oh I'd rather just be watching those films and you're talking about like some of the greatest films ever made so it has a lot to kind of live up to but one thing that irked me a little bit about it is why and i don't i have like some general perhaps like ideas about this but like why the um recalling back to those particular films and why let's say casting this film in a i know and again i think there's answers but like the casting in the kind of like late 70s early 80s new york and what we're supposed to take from that. Because if there is something, at least for me, about this film that is potentially, let's say, progressive about its politics, is it's the historical milieu it tries to place the characters within. Um, I It's so interesting. I, I watched this film for the first time in early January. Um, I didn't see it in the theater. I, I think I was resist. I, I, I just wasn't as interested as I thought I would be. And when I watched it the first time, I was like, meh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why this is like, I think Joaquin Phoenix is great. Is, is, it's a really interesting performance. It's a, I can't like stress how 
and I, I'm, I'm with Randy on this. It's such an exquisitely made movie. Like it's beautiful. It looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It's, it's just so well constructed in every way. Um, but, but I didn't walk away with like too strong of a feeling. I do. I did find it a little overrated. I, I was a little surprised by all the award attention it got. Um, but rewatching it, I like. I I don't know that I like it. I actually don't find it entertaining at all. I but I I think it's a bit of a dirge at times, and I have some real questions about this. The, some things like I, I found myself taking notes and being like, why, 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 why all these things? But I do think it's really powerful. And like Randy, I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more when you talk about how it resonates differently now than it did maybe even when it came out. I'd love to talk more about that because that was the thing that stuck out to me watching it. It's like, damn, this movie feels like a different movie now than it did four months ago. Um, well, one reason is I think that, and this kind of addresses the controversy that was surrounding it when it happened, but, and I, I know a lot of the focus was on white male murderous tendency what does it say about mental health is this going to inspire more mass shootings in the country and and all the concerns that the film raised at the time but looking back on it now when we're experiencing um frightening police brutality a frightening police force um throughout the country uh a president who reinforces that behavior from police forces across the country. I looked at it now like the Joker in many cases is the product of a larger violent society. Um, that he is the manifestation of a country that does not really address these issues more so than it being about um, Arthur Fleck being alone and not being able to handle his own mental issues and his own mental struggles. Um, I feel like the way it's constructed now through the lens of, of what's happening in 2020, for me, it's, it's more a conversation of the failure of the country and the society to properly address these situations. And it, it just feels like he's Arthur Fleck slash the Joker has become this, um, this kind of monster cr created by something larger than him. Um, and he's and he's kind of like fighting back against that that creation and that creator. Um, all the the riot scene at the end, the people celebrating his his murderous path um, feels like a reflection of that. Um, the Murray show really feels like like it's a, a commentary on society because he's it's representing commercial media. Um, the, the, the general kind of like perception of the overall society, I think is played through that, that talk show. Um, the way that uh, Arkham Asylum is portrayed, uh, Thomas Wayne, the way that he's portrayed, he's, he's, Thomas Wayne is an interesting character to me because in many of the, the, the Batman canon, he's kind of revered as like this squeaky clean, like really philanthropic, great billionaire. But in this one, he's not, he's an asshole. <laughs> um, yeah. and there's, there's nothing really redeeming about Thomas Wayne. Um, even, uh, the Alfred character, like in that brief cameo, there's nothing really redeeming about them. There's, there's much more, uh, sinister, um, attitude and energy around them. And I know part of it is to, I guess, to make Arthur look like the more sympathetic character. Um, so there is some kind of like drama construct that's there for why those characters behave the way that they do. But um, I, I don't know. It's just because of everything that's happening in the world. It just uh, immediately made me think about why is Arthur Fleck doing the things that he does beyond just like being afflicted with mental illness. Like, I think it's too easy to say he has these mental health issues. He came from a mom that had mental health issues and this is what happens. And it's like, no, there's another piece to this. It's like, why, why isn't he getting the proper treatment? Why isn't this being addressed? And most importantly, why is it celebrated? by the people and with everything that's going on now it just put me in a completely different uh mental space to receive the film um i also think that uh that character does have depth and i think because this is more of a character study um for somebody that's a part of a larger canon that's a part of a larger series and franchise like 
I wasn't really looking for depth from Zazie Beat's character. I don't I didn't really I didn't need that. I didn't need depth from Robert De Niro's character. This is I look I also looked at it as part of the Batman canon and for it being a Joker origin story, as long as I understood where the Joker was coming from and kind of projecting how he plays out in the rest of the Batman franchise, I was fine with the other secondary characters not uh, being super in depth because they're not really important to the canon of of Batman. So I guess from like a like a comic book nerd perspective, like it didn't that didn't really bother me as much. I found that rewatching it, I felt this the first time, and I felt that at the end of the film when he when he's on the car and he makes the bloody smile on his face. The, I I don't think the first time I watched it I was like moved by it or particularly like horrified by it i just kind of like oh okay and the second time i thought there was something really brilliant about it which was that on the i think there's two ways there's a couple there's a a bunch of different ways to read it but one way to read it is as sort of as you said is this guy's like a manifestation of a culture that doesn't do anything for him where he's stripped of his ability to like get the help he needs etc etc i also think that this is something that's like really central to the batman canon is there's that line in the dark knight or in the, and that was really famous in the trailers where they talk about how like the mob or the crowd, the mob, um, the actual organized mafia in the dark night um, turn to a man they don't understand. And I feel like this movie could be interpreted that way. It's like these people gravitate to this guy because he represents something bigger and whether he represents something that's like truly about like politics or the way the system doesn't work or if he's just a lunatic i think there's like a hole at the center of the movie it doesn't tell you what to think and i at least my feeling is that there's an openness to that ending that i think is like truly powerful in a way that like no other batman movie has attempted to do i feel like i don't know how to feel about this guy at the end of the movie in some ways i like when he get when he there's a one of the guys he kills on the subway uh looks like a trump like he looks, right. it's very clear that they were like, make this guy look like Eric Trump. And right. I, it makes me, it made me go like, hell yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it just like, it actually like kind of worked for me. Like the people he goes after in the movie the second time, like I got really swept up in it. And I, uh, and then I sort of went like, is this the right way to feel? I, I just think it's provocative and powerful in that way. Although I would, is my I, feeling. I would say, I mean, I, I, I think you're right that there's some kind of, you're supposed to be left with some moral ambiguity about whether or not you feel for the character, but I think it's very didactic. I mean, I think it's very clear that you're supposed to take from it that he's a victim of society. Like, how can you, like, see this and be like, oh, no, he's not, like, victimized by society? Hmm. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't look at him as a victim of society. Again, I, I think he is a reflection of society because it's a violent society that has not figured out a way to resolve itself. And I think that he's kind of the height of that. So I don't, I don't think, I don't view him as a sympathetic character. I don't think he evolves into a sympathetic character. I think he might start off that way. Uh, I think by the end, I don't find him sympathetic at all. Um, And I don't, I don't think he's victimized by it because he, he becomes more and more like active as a, as a character, as the film goes on. So I'm not, I'm not sure where the victimization takes place. I think he takes a moment and then he he makes a decision to go down a particular path. But I think the reason why he chooses that path is because it's accepted by the society. You know, and I, I think it's like it's a part of the culture that allows him to do that, I guess is one way mm. of saying it. And it just feels like he's a reflection of that, and that's why he's celebrated. Because the at the end, the other people are engaging in the same behavior as he is. You know, they smash the police cop, they light things on fire, like they're they're basically engaging in the same behavior that that he is. And it's not like he created it. It's just it just gave him an opportunity to kind of like reveal another uh, side of himself. So I think he's he's betrayed more as a reflection of more like a mirror which also like is consistent with the way Joker and Batman have always been portrayed as mm. kind of like, you know, opposite ends of the same coin. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think he's a victim. I mean, or at least I didn't get that impression watching it. 
I feel like, and Mark, I'd lo- I want to hear your thoughts on this too. I also, I feel like there's something really interesting in his insistence on the talk show and before that, like, he's not political. I'm not political. Like, he keeps saying that over and over again, but then he says things that reflect, like, the way he feels that, that get grabbed onto by other people. And I just, I think there's an interesting dichotomy in, in how we perceive him and and I don't know what it is I think that's one of the interesting things about the movie like I think it's very intentional that to me at least there's something in the center of this where I'm like I just I don't think he's sympathetic at all by the end I actually very rarely sympathize with him but the openness at the center of the movie at least to me is like really powerful and uh, in that I, I I really feel like it's it's so open to interpretation Mark um seeing as you talk a lot on your show about like masculinity representations of masculinity, stuff like that, and, and how this is all connected, what are your thoughts on the way the character is? Well, or how you felt about him? I think I, there's a part of me, you know, with seeing how frustrated I was when I saw it, I, I will, one of the things that I thought about over the few months after I'd seen it is like, what was my, what was I bringing to the viewing? Um, you know, this was supposed to be a big, uh, is tentpole the right word? Like tentpole fall movie. You know, this is a big mm-hmm. 2019 release. So a lot of us had expectations. And of course I went in, even though I wasn't supposed to, with some level of expectation, but also some level of like, I guess, progress to characterization of, to me, this movie isn't interesting if you take the character of Joker out of it. It's just like, this is an, this is like, oh, why am I watching a ripoff movie of 70s cinemas, cinema with an antihero who's not well-developed? It's only interesting because of the, like, it's, it's sort of like, but it's Gotham City. It's like, that's the way. So I started to get really pissed. I was like, well, you're not doing enough of a deep character dive for me if you're going to do that. But I also admit, I'm bringing that to the table when I was seeing it, and one of the things that I'm really pissed about, it's like, I don't, in the, in the long run, I sure take responsibility of stuff that you do. I'm not saying Todd Phillips did or did not. I don't, I didn't think this movie was going to like set off riots or anything like that. I didn't think that like all of the incel people are going to see Joker and then all, you know, and then just troll the fuck out of everybody there. They've been trolling. Um, I think that's a, that's a bad reaction on our parts as critics, just in general, like people who go to see movies and think that this will cause, you know, blank to happen. Right. My favorite scene in the movie, I think the most powerful best scene and the most real is the scene on the bus with the kid and the mother. And if the movie had been made up of more of that, I was like, that's an interesting movie to me. Because what you're setting up for me is let's, let's throw this. I'm going to throw away my expectation. Like, I, again, if this movie was not Joker and I'm not already sort of interested in this canon of work, like, let's just say I'm seeing a character, a character study of an antihero and, um, you know, regardless, like I'm coming to it to have some level of like, I need to have some level of, of, uh, connection with this character. That scene to me is, is really powerful. It's great. It's great. And, I think if they had spent more time for me, it's like, it's a much more interesting portrayal of masculinity or like, not that this movie is like a deep dive on masculinity, but it would have been a much more interesting portrayal to me. If you showed really just like just ostracization versus like the, the attack in the beginning, in the beginning of the film and the levels of like, I I would have liked to seen like uh, a bit more of how just how, everyday interactions that aren't based in aggression, but are based in just like somebody who's like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm having a really hard time explaining this. I well, don't... no, I think, I think, sorry, just what, like, I think what you mean is like that there's like a certain kind of sense of, in that scene, it's not exceptional. There's no violence. There's no extreme aggression, but it shows how he's ostracized and how he kind of just doesn't fit in. They gave this guy, I feel like they gave him no power. Like they gave him no, um, I know, and and that's that to me would have given so much sympathy to the level of like uh, mental illness and things like that. But what really pissed me off, the reason why the dance scene pissed me off, the reason why the dance scene pissed me off, I was like, this is when you give this fucking guy agency. You, this is when you get like that is such that is the that is the, um, it, it feels to me like a cheap narrative move to 
to say like, well, when he shoots somebody, and if and if we had done the whole thing, where not only the girlfriend, but so much of this landed in just this person's point of view, mental state, in which it's a murky area whether this is happening or not, I would have been okay with that. But we're selecting the girlfriend portion to be a a um, a parallel narrative in his mind, but everything else is potential reality. But like, this is where you decide to give him agency. Like, give him some agency in some other areas in his life leading up to this. And maybe I'll buy into the fact that he feels a bit of a bit of maybe powers like or that a status after he does these murders. But I, I just like I, I had such little sympathy for a character, which I was asking to be super sympathetic with. I was like, you, you've kicked this sad sack around. You've written a sad sack. And then you're 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 justifying a, a degree of. Um, Gohanes, for lack of a better word, a degree of like of a pathos based on something like an action that he does like that. Like we had uh, to me, I felt like there was such little lead up to justifying that um, that moment of catharsis for him. And I, I think we, we all could I would have had a lot more sympathy and actually I would have had a lot more buy in if we could just have had even if the movie was composed of. um people trying to be kind to him or like some degree of, of like, give me, there was the social worker, the social worker, but even, even her characterization was, was sort of just like, it, it was thrown into this idea of like the man, like there was so much of, I, I'm just going off at this point. I'm coming back to Why sitting in that think, movie theater. What, what do you guys think of the, uh, George and Randy, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I, I have some, what do you think of the dance scene? Why do you think it's in the movie? That would be my Which, which dance scene? I would say that I think we're talking about the one in the bathroom. After yeah, he kills yeah, the, the guys, first correct? one in the bathroom. The the second one too. Really, I mean, by that point, I was really checked out when I first saw it. Um, but the first one is the one that really got onto you know, got me. So to, after to he going. kills the guys on the subway, yeah, and he's in that that dirty bathroom, um, wherever that is. Right. Yeah. So that scene. I did. I, I definitely didn't have the reaction that Mark had. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. It doesn't. It doesn't doesn't bother me i mean i don't think it's a i don't think this the the scene had so much value that it like kind of threw off my emotional connection to the film i mean i just i just think it's something that uh it's a physical physical expression that uh joaquin and todd decided to land on to kind of like give some physicality to his character um i it, it it doesn't bother me i mean i think because it's so consistent throughout the film and with the character, it just seems like part of just like his character expression and some physicalities because he's so stiff and rigid overall. And he's very, um, just physically, he's very like contained, like the way that he plays it, that I think that it, it needed some moments where there was a dance or something else to make him a little, a little bit more physical. So in that sense, I thought I liked it just because I wasn't seeing him hunched over and kind of like being this like defeated, uh, always in a uh, a state of like defeated physical presence or posture. Um, so the dance scene was fine to me, but I, I something that Mark said uh, that I found interesting in um, dealing with masculinity and stuff. I think there are like multiple moments where he's both has agency, but also like has moments where we're kind of like seeing him in a more I don't want to use sympathetic because I don't think that that's the appropriate word, but I think a little bit more in tune with his humanity, like the very first scene, I mean, he's, he forces himself to smile. I mean, that's the first time we see him like looking in the mirror and he does the smile. Like the, the first real action is before he gets beat up by the kids. And I think that the story arc with his mom is really like where the emotional grounding is. Now it might not work for everybody, but I mean, he has like tender moments with his mom, like he's watching his mom in the bathtub and we don't normally see men in that situation in a lot of films. Um, like he's he's a caretaker for his mother, the like dream sequence that he has uh, with the Murray show when he's like, I'm proud of taking care of my mother. Um, there are like a few moments littered throughout that that made me feel like he was a human, that it wasn't just like every reaction he had ended up being some like psycho killer response or some like extremely violent response. Um, I also think when he finds out that his mother lied to him, 
and that part of the reason he is who he is is because of the treatment of like the the mom's the mom's boyfriend and the way that the mom just allowed it to happen. I I bought it because I I believed in the relationship that he had with his mom and I believe that he really thought that Thomas Wayne was his dad because he had so much trust and in his mother and that was pretty much the only person that was loyal to him. And like one moment that really stood out to me is when the uh the two guys visit his apartment and he kills he kills the one guy and then the uh the guy that he lets go by he kisses him on the forehead and he says you're the, you're the only person yeah you're the only person that's been nice to me and it, it it really was well you're the only person that was nice to me besides my mom and then i find out that my mom wasn't even nice to me you know mm-hmm. what i mean so it was like all of these like emotional things that have happened to him that really scarred him he had he had trust in one person which was his mother he lost that he kills the mom because he has no other way to really like process that destructive moment for him but he still has that one human moment amidst all of this like crazy violent reactions to let that one guy go like he was emotionally aware enough to know that this person seemingly cared about me so i feel like that was another moment in which his like humanity came through and then of course he reverts back to like his natural instinct to just like go crazy but um i think that there are enough moments throughout uh that balance out the the violent side of him that that i bought into um and i don't think the one thing i do appreciate it appreciate about it is that it wasn't beat over the head either like it wasn't these scenes weren't so like over the top and like overly dramatized it's like oh he loves his mom isn't that cute you know it just seemed like it was a, a routine that this was part of his life this was his everyday life this is what he did and then it all came crashing down. And then that kind of like protective bubble was no longer there. And then his his instinct came out. I mean, going back to this idea of like, to what degree is he sympathetic or not sympathetic? Because I do think um, for the most part, the film is uh, asking you to sympathize with him. But it, I believe the only victim uh, of his that doesn't deserve his violence happens completely off screen, right? It's the social worker at the very, very end in the asylum who obviously you assume that he killed because of the footprints, but everybody else is somebody who has done him directly harm or who you are not in any sort of way sympathizing with. I guess the I'm mom- I'm going to be really maybe... dumb here. Does he kill the social worker at the end of the movie? I mean, that's the impression that I got. I, yeah, that was the impression I got yeah. too. Oh, because of the because of the foot. Okay, so at that, I I I was like, why are his footprints? I'm not bright because I was like, why are his footprints red? Like I thought it was. I, that's the thing. It st- felt you didn't a little, see it. It, it was edited symbolic out. Symbolic to me. He stepped on some red paint. They were painting one oh, of the, right, the hallways right, in right. Arkham. Yeah, they yeah, were... yeah, yeah. I just felt I I I felt like because I remember being I'm dumb. I was like, why the hell are his feet red? <laughs> I thought it was some kind of thing to connect to the the lips because he's the Joker. I totally didn't get that. Wow, I got to rewatch the ending of this movie. Did you also think so at the end of like? Thing, um... Go ahead, Randy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I don't. I don't want to take this in a completely different direction because Please. I just Do think it. it's funny that uh, the one issue that I do have with the film and it it really hit me the second time watching it is the treatment of time. Like, I don't know what's mm-hmm. a delusion, what's a flashback, where we are, is this present time? Like, I also am under the impression that he, he kills Zazie Beetz. Uh, yeah, me too. Before he, uh... before he paints his face. Um, but it's like, he also had delusions with Zazie Beetz and like, did some of this stuff happen? Did he imagine all of this? And he told the the social worker at the end of the film. And it, like, really drove me nuts. Like, that is the one thing about this film that I, I, I don't like is the treatment of time. And there's no consistent motif or or any kind of, like, tool in place to let me know where we are. If we're, I don't know if, I don't even know mm. if it was like meant to be that way because we're in his mind and like obviously his mind is like scatterbrained in some ways. But I was frustrated the first time. I was frustrated talking to people about it. And then I was even more frustrated watching it the second time. So I, I have no like sense of time in the film outside of like the actual era. But in terms of is this a delusion? Did he make this up? What What's real and what's not um, was bothersome for me. I didn't, That's I, didn't really think, interesting. I didn't think that he killed Zazie Beetz, by the way. 
Mark, did you think I that can he see it being him? read that way? Totally, yeah. Especially yeah. the second time. I huh. think so. I, I I can't remember what my read was when I first saw it about that. That's interesting. I actually, Randy, like you saying that, I I would have preferred having a little bit. It's interesting to hear you say that. I think I would have preferred to feel like there was a bit of ambiguity with time because of the mm. the reveal that and I, I'm going to say this, and it's not like smart movie go over here guys uh so i'm not trying to say that at all but uh with uh with them starting to date and probably maybe many of us on this call are like i think this might be a delusion right like that totally that this yeah. is in his head that yeah. the dating so i think i would have appreciated i didn't see any other portions of the movie in which there was a potential i didn't see the same ambiguity of like is this in his head or, or time and I would have really liked that, actually. I think I would have made, made me appreciate it more. I just realized, and I'm going to take Randy's lead as well with like a, him putting the caveat of a bit of a tangent. I just realized one of the things I brought to this movie that I, I'm... I that was unfair. Joker. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, is, that is really unfair. It wasn't, it wasn't the other... I did go in being like, you know, not, it's not Jack Nicholson. It's not Heath Let Like, don't... So I, I honestly sat down. I was like, cool, I'm going to watch a movie. It wasn't the history of Batman. And it wasn't even, I did a pretty good job watching it. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, I see the reference to Taxi Driver. I see the reference to, you know, this Daily News headline from 1980 blank. I see, you know, King of New York. It was Henry Porch of a Serial Killer. Huh. Which is oh, interesting. What, was the, what was the continued comparison in my head of like a compelling really difficult film that is a character study of madness that is like like rips you because of like the level of sympathy you're giving to somebody who's you know two people but in particular like the lead character who's a complete sociopath but again these areas of agency and these areas of control and these areas of morale or morality and then like how those kind of get stripped away i think it's like and also a city in decay uh right i i i I haven't heard that. I'm, I'm realizing for some reason that's what I brought to this and something that has, whenever I saw that movie in the nineties, like that's, it stuck with me. Like that is a really tough character study of, of dementia, uh, not dementia, but a uh, uh, demented, uh, a demented personality for lack of a better term. And I was, I think I was hoping the, like the, the needle was, was going to lead to some really and maybe that's maybe that's part of my problem of coming to this film. I didn't think it was going to incite uh, again like incel violence or trolling. I didn't think blank blank blank. I thought it was a really well. It's just it's a it's a movie back in the day. We my 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 buddies and I used to have a list of movies that like we ran a club. This would play in the club. Like you wouldn't hear any like it's a movie like Belly, which like Belly is such a good looking movie <laughs> that's gonna be hard to sit with. Sometimes it's just like. Sometimes like eh, dialogue is not, <laughs> it's not being sold here, but like, you know, but it's just like that shit's going to look good if you're in a, if you're in a club, you know, or something like that, or, or, or a, a nice bar. And so Joker would sort of fit in that list, but I was coming to it in a way where um, I wanted Henry Portrait. I, I wanted to, to walk away with like really conflicted feelings. And unfortunately, again, leading up to that dance, I, I maybe it's not depth, um, some degree of conflict in the character, uh, and it didn't have to be like, did I just kill somebody? Oops, it wasn't that. There was a level of conflict that that I don't think they gave him. Maybe maybe the word is agency, and maybe that needs to show up in different ways for me. But yeah, I'm just realizing Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is like is kind of what I wanted in a way versus Taxi yeah, Driver, think- King of New York. I think that's where the uh, the the tricky landing of doing an origin story for a comic book villain comes into play. Yeah. Especially one that has been on screen for so many years now and has so many different interpretations and has so many different frameworks and so many different frameworks even within the actual like graphic novel comic book universe. There are so many interpretations of this this one character alone and it's the character is heavily dependent upon another character mm. that I don't think we could ever get something like that because there are already so many rules in place for this for this specific character. So I think uh, 
by even creating an origin story for this guy already ran its risks and I think already had some limitations. I agree that it, he probably needed more agency in certain spots. Um, I think agency is a really great word to use in that situation, but I also think that there are just some natural limitations to it. I mean, even in, even in the sense of who plays the characters, I mean, as soon as this came out, everybody wanted to start comparing his performance to Jack Nicholson and he wasn't better than Heath Ledger. And it was like, yeah, well, Heath, if we're really honest about it, Heath Ledger's Joker had no depth. He's just a really, he just performed it and he was just doing like criminal shit the whole time. Like there was no depth to his character. He just played a shallow character really well. And that's not an insult to the performance or Heath Ledger, but there really was no time for depth in these uh, Christopher Nolan uh, movies. So I think that's, you know, having such an iconic character and, and also the audience knowing so much about that character and seeing it in so many different manners. Um, it's, it's incredibly difficult to pull off to add something new to it. Um, and I think Joaquin did a great job of kind of like working through all of that stuff, you know, because again, how do you, how do you follow up Heath Ledger's performance, which was so expansive and creative how do you do something that's yeah yeah and like you have to do something more more dour basically and more psychological um rather than being able to be like super playful because he's not even the joker for most of the movie he's arthur fleck and it's like well who the hell is arthur fleck like i remember when the joker was announced there were a lot of people that were pissed off that an origin story was even happening in the first place they didn't even Mm. see the movie yet they were like why do we need this like we know who the joker is so you know it's like those are the things that the film was up against and I think in some ways I'm not really sure you could ever get past that you know like it just seems you know there's an inherent risk with jumping into a property like this and um you know I some random, things worked and some things didn't I have a random question that made me Randy what you just said and it this again might feel left field but not so much an origin story, but a re sort of maybe like a genre take on a known property and character is, and this, I thought about this in the second viewing of Joker. What did you guys think of Logan? Like how did, and like, like the, the way, again, it's not somebody else playing Wolverine. It's, it's the guy, you know, like pretty much Hugh Jackman is Wolverine at this point. Like nobody's really taken on that character, but it was a, you know, there was a like a pathology to that character in that version of it. And I and I actually don't know in comparison to this, because there's a, like you have this body of work and this body of characterization. And there's a bit of subversion in, in that movie too, the way that Joker successfully or not successfully does that with 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 the character. I don't want to take this in a whole different direction, but I'm just curious if that came to anybody or or what people's thoughts were of Logan I think- as a change i think one thing to consider is the source of like we've talked a lot about the performers but i think that a a big source of how to think about this is the director so when you have someone like james mangold who's like out and out a huge western guy loves westerns makes movies like copland like these kind of that deal with like classic um and you know logan references shane time and time again and like um you know to, to foreshadow our next season mangold's a huge um a Kurosawa fan I feel like the director takes it in that direction really really uh makes a lot of those decisions in terms of that stuff I thought Logan was great and I I think that to piggy to piggyback off that idea of the director Todd Phillips is a really interesting choice for a director of this movie because I think the power in this movie in some ways rests in like is this supposed to be funny? Like the Joker's not funny, but historically the Joker's funny and like Todd Phillips is also historically like a kind of dark comedy almost anti-comedy guy and I think that that makes him kind of an inspired choice to direct this whereas the Nolan version and I tend to agree with Randy as much as I love the Dark Knight and I love the Dark Knight and George brought this up earlier in in the show there's no in, in previous episodes there's no depth to that character and that in and of itself is a little bit of a problem when you think about it from a larger perspective but I think Logan is great because of the filmmaker making it in the same way that I think that Ted, Todd Phillips' specific designs work really well in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I also think uh, that treatment of Logan makes sense within the X-Men universe. Like, I, I don't think that... I think we've seen in the comics either 
close portrayals of him or hints that he was capable of doing this. And I also think the the character treatments between Joker and Logan are two different times of their characters. So Mm. Logan's older, Logan's going through the X-Men thing. He's had this full body experience of, of living that type of life. And Joker is, is discovering himself. So I think also where the characters are in the timelines of their lives um, in each film also plays a big part in it. Mm. Um, Logan is like the grizzled, I'm tired of this. Like, this is my last hurrah. I've been doing this for however many years. I had, you know, Weapon X, like, you know, the whole story. And it's kind of like, you know, the grizzled veteran's last hurrah and passing it on to this next generation of mutant who's even more powerful than him. And Joker is like, man, I just found out my mom is awful. And, you know, like, I, I'm capable of killing people and I kind of like it. And, you know, I put this bloody smile on my face for the first time, you know? So I think um, it's just different points of times with the character. But I also think uh, the franchises of the comics allowed Logan to take place more so than um with joker because i guess the closest origin story would be a killing joke which is also a reference at the end of the film um there's a little nod to the killing joke at the end so um wait what's that yeah i mean i uh it's when he says the uh the social worker is he's laughing and the the uh social worker is like oh what's so funny he's like oh it's a joke but you wouldn't understand it so that's kind of like that's a nod to I'm assuming it's either a nod to the killing joke, which is like the most like popular Joker origin story, or yeah. it's a suggestion that that's where they're headed next if they were to that's do the, that. Yeah, I, I felt, the, the first time I felt like it was a setup for a sequel, this time it felt like a nod to the actual graphic novel. Yeah. That's the one by Alan Moore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well, interesting. The, the Logan thing is interesting comparison. Sorry, Liam, just quickly, is because I think, I mean, and again, I'm not necessarily as familiar, I guess, with the, I mean, I'm familiar with obviously the the genre of the Western, but that seems more of like an homage, Logan does, to like the Western, um, as opposed to this film, which again is kind of like very, very, at least to me, like heavily derivative of those like Scorsese movies. So it's, again, it's like more of a, like, again, this is like a cover song, or a cover of those earlier films, uh, whereas Logan feels just like as an homage to a certain kind of particular genre, and it takes a character and places him within that genre. So I think there's also like those kind of distinctions as well. But I think uh, thinking about like the genre of this film is, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to think about it as like a particular kind of film and what it's attempting to say. Sorry, Liam, you want to say something? Well, no, I, I you know, I just think starting to think about wrapping up, and I'd love to hear any more thoughts you guys have, but one of the things that I love about, th- I loved about watching this movie and um, watching the movie before it, which is Lego Batman <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that they feel like movies. And I, this feels like the most movie movie. And that's not to take away from the dark Knight movies, which I really like. It is in some ways to take away from the DC f- extended universe stuff because I appreciate that we don't watch this movie. I didn't watch this movie and at the end go like, what's next? Like, I, I appreciate that it felt, you know, we we can look at it as like, oh, it's derivative of Taxi Driver. It's derivative of King of Comedy. But those are fucking movies like that. They, yeah, they tell a right. story that takes two hours. They have things about them that are interesting. They're they're provocative in their way, and I I think that that's one of the things that I like about this movie is that it doesn't it doesn't pander to the source material in a way that it might, and it also just gives you a complete full picture that yeah, is but, like challenging. What did you think of the stinger scene now, where he finds the uh, the time gem? Did you, <laughs> boo. Did you did, did, boo boo? All right. Uh, any last and thoughts I, on, on Joker, guys? On that note. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> any any last anything else we want to drop in? Well, I I have a question for uh, Randy included, but definitely for the hosts and uh Oh, oh no. my goodness. Um, Put on the spot. Yeah, uh, my overall thoughts is I I do appreciate uh having this discussion. I think that um and also watching it not completing it the second time, there was a degree of appreciation, like more patience for it. Um and I think again, I, I, I am 
I think here's here's a bias I'm willing to admit, and I'm uh, I'm just going to sound a little bit out of touch. I hate Joker. Yeah, <laughs> I loved him. I think I really did. Like I loved. He was such like a a strong character as a boy, you know. And I really I used to tell I used to tell my my best friend my best friend was mad at me because for 15 years I told him that Cesar Romero, who played Joker on Batman, was my uncle. Uh, and then, and then, That'd be pretty cool. And then Cesar, <laughs> old uncle. And so, like, I would tell him, so I was like, oh, yeah, I saw Cesar, I saw Dio Cesar when we went to blah, blah, blah. And then he died whenever my friend's like, oh, how's, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I was like, what are you talking oh, about? <laughs> uh, but I, dude, Joker, Joker, outside of like Cesar, which is so comical, like, I really. I think maybe, yes, maybe there's a dual bias. Like maybe I am bringing something to this love affair with the character, but also I think I'm, I, I'm actually a little out of touch with connecting with canon material uh, or sort of like universe material. Uh, so the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. And so I, I think that's where I'm getting a little, a little out of touch with coming to things and, and expecting Henry portrait of serial killer. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to say, that's a big reach. I think, and I know you guys want to hear from Randy, and this is for everybody, uh, but especially, you know, since you're ending this season on Joker and something that is an origin story, and you guys have gone through this body of Batman material, what would be the least wanted or least expected origin story feature film out of the whole, out of all the Batman, <laughs> either villains or characters? I. Uh, no, this is impossible because of real events, but I still yearn for a, uh, a hyper intense penguin starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. He said least <laughs> wanted. Didn't you say least wanted? Oh, yeah, least wanted. Yeah, least actually, wanted. actually, let's go with it. Cause I mean, there, <laughs> any, I, any movie not starring Philip Seymour Hoffman as the penguin. <laughs> that's, that's my answer then. I don't know. Maybe you guys have like, I don't, I don't I don't even know what my origin story would be within this universe or something that I would want to see. You know, we've done Batman, we've done Joker. I think there are variations of others, but Randy and George, I don't I don't know if anything comes to mind or like this would never they would never do this, but it would be awesome to see uh Poison Ivy and, and then play <laughs> They did it by... Uma Thurman and it rules. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know um least expected like least want to watch or least expected like this came out of left field i can't believe they did this whatever whatever rings truer or whatever rings most interesting to you i know what i don't want to see uh i don't want to see an alfred story (laughs) um (laughs) like i i know and i think they were going to do that they did it Oh yeah, no. There's a show I, called no, Pennyworth. I've never. I'm not watching it. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, that's I mean ridiculous. that does sound awful. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that I I immediately would just say no. Nah, I'm good on that. But but I mean they did Gotham, so they basically did like an origin mm. story on oh, like, yeah. everybody. So yeah. Kind of like, you don't really have any more options. They just did every single person <laughs> that you could possibly think of. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah the the Alfred story I have like zero interest in. Yeah, I think I would. I would. Pa- I would definitely. I would definitely pass on an egghead origin story. Oh my god! Yes, so- Solomon Grundy. Solomon <laughs> Grundy origin story. I'm, I'm there for that. Um, you guys both have. Thank you for doing this. This has been yes, great. Thank I really you so much. quickly before we wrap up. Um, you both have projects in the works or coming out, um, or have come out, and I'd love to just quickly, 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 if you want to hear about it. Randy, do you want to talk a little bit about Dear Spike Lee? Because I watched it and I found it so moving a few weeks ago uh thank you yeah we um i directed the series premiere episode of a new show on apple plus called deer uh so i did the spike lee episode i thought when i was filming it that it was going to be the last episode of the series and then all of a sudden or this season and then i found out through a press release that it was going to be the series premiere so that was pretty crazy um yeah it just seems when we shot it you know, we, we felt great about it. We thought that we had done a great job, but I think watching it in the times that we're living in now, it just elevated the episode. I think that it had perfect timing, unfortunately, perfect timing. Um, and I, But I thought that because it there was a, a positive kind of inspirational take on Spike's career, um, I thought it was like really, really timely. And I, I think it impacted a lot of people that in a way that it might not have if it came out at, a, at another time. 
Um, and I also am appreciative of how vulnerable and Spike was in my interview with him. Um, I think we saw him in a light that we don't normally see him in publicly. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the episode. And, um, yeah, it came out great, and I'm pretty proud of it. And you could it's on Apple TV. Yeah, Apple Plus. So they're okay. a subscription service. So I, I think you can sign up for a week, and then if you want to keep going, you can. And if you don't, then don't tell you. I'll cut this don't, out of the uh, interview. Tell anybody I'll cut that, that I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking know, about, guys. Randy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sign up, guys. Sign up. At least sign up to sign see up. Randy's episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's great, and it was cool to watch right around the time when the new film came out, which I also oh, totally, yeah. totally still need done. to watch it. Yeah. Get on it; it's great. It's good, Mark, yeah. season three, other men need help. Do you want to quickly tell us about it? Yeah, we are launching. We're moving the date around. So it's it's going to be either July first, eighth, or fifteenth. But if you there's if you sign up on the feed, you'll find out when it gets we'll released. To all of it. But we, uh, a few years ago, in the, while we were working on the second season, we were doing interviews with, um, I don't know, we were working on stories. And during interviews, there was a lot, of, a lot of conversations around, I don't have friends in my life. And it's like, you've just listed 10 people that, that you claim to be friends. And like, yeah, but I can't call them about my divorce. And I was like, all right, let's do a season about this. Um, so each episode is about... We are looking at your best friends. Uh, so it's mm. two best friends for each episode. And we're looking at the ways that they are dealing with things that are going unsaid. Um, so this is adult That's male great. friendships. We do range from kids to older adults. We have an episode that's a oral history about a Facebook post that uses the words, I miss, I miss him. Uh, we do... Uh, we have a song in the first episode about um, the first episode of that secret handshakes. And we have a musical number about uh, various greetings that best friends give each other. Um, it's going to be, it's, 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 I think it's going to be a great season. It's, we're really proud of it. And we, we luckily we were able to travel and get a lot of these interviews and a lot of the field recording done before COVID hit. So, um, cool, cool. Yeah. Launching in just a few weeks. Awesome. Nice. Well, we're, uh, we're launching our season on Akira Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune in August. Do you guys want to come back for that? Yeah, sure. More cool. than one. Yeah. Maybe we'll make this like, I've only seen hmm? like three Kurosawa movies. It's embarrassing. Get off this, get off this chat. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about it soon. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank this you. Was great. Yeah, we'll, it was awesome. Uh, hey, thank you. It was really fun. Yeah, thank well, you. and we'll talk again soon. Uh, I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. I'm Mark Pagan. <laughs> I'm Randy Wilkins. And this was. Ew, bust <laughs> <laughs>